Welcome to episode number 77 of the Advanced Training Podcast. Once again, we had some audio issues, so there's going to be a couple of times where it sounds like I am talking over our guest, the great Coach John Fortunato, but I am not. Uh, whenever you make an edit, and we seldom make edits on this podcast, I had to make a slight edit to the audio. There's something that's going on. We're going to figure it out, but it's still awesome, awesome work by Coach Fortunato. And uh, without further ado, let's go. Okay, we are here with a very special guest, Coach John Fortunato. Coach Fortunato is a guy that not only I coached from his freshman year of high school all the way through his senior year of high school. So I was his coach as a freshman coach, JV coach, varsity coach. Then he comes back and coaches with me at St. Joseph by the Sea and then continues to coach after I've left the school and became uh, not only a great player, but a great coach. Coach Fortunato, thank you for joining the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. I really am. Like I uh, said before, I didn't think I'd ever be asked, but I'm honored. And just uh, just a little bit of background before we get into the questions. I got to say that if if I'm thinking of a high school football player and the journey that I want them to take in their high school career, it's going to be exactly what Coach Fortunato did. And now we're not going to get into it just yet. We want to talk about it later. But he's the model of everything I base my drills off of, how I approach kids. So, uh, Coach, you made a big impact impact on my life when you were just a a 14-year-old kid, and it's stuck (laughs) with me now. Yeah, and same to you. I mean, I'm not – I'm not the man I am today or whatever without you and the rest of the coaches. So it worked both ways, I guess. Awesome. Of course it does. All right. So <laughs> the first question right out of the gate I have to ask you is, what does this phrase mean? They don't know. Uh, as a kid, it meant – I think it was a phrase from a crazy Greek guy. And it was it was Coach Manos and it was this crazy phrase. And you know how we thought as kids, this crazy guy – and it was actually the first, I don't know if he knows this, he's probably listening, it was actually the first words he ever said to us. He came into the cafeteria with Father Riley, and we're sitting at the cafeteria eating, and Father Riley introduces the new head coach of C, it's Coach Manos, and he shakes our hand, shakes my hand, doesn't say anything, he just says, they don't know. And we're like, all right, okay. <laughs> okay. And from there, like I said, as a kid, you don't know, you're not, you're not, you don't think like that. But when you mature and, you see, and you're an adult, you realize it means it, it, it has great meaning. It means when we're 19, we're a 19th ranked team and no one ca- and everyone thinks we're just these rich South Shore kids that can't do anything. And eventually we work ourselves up to beating St. Anthony's to beating Farrell to, and, and no one ever thought it. And you got guys benching 300 beating other schools and lift off so many things. And, and that's what it really means. And it means anything in life. And when you're working or anything, you think you can't do it. And you just say, they don't know. So you, you started this off uh, before this interview with uh, a picture of, it said, they don't know 2002. What is yes. the significance of that to you? Is, what's so, 2002? So this, so this, that was the, I think that was probably the first sign coach Manos hung in the locker room. It was in the locker room above the main door where the players locker room right there, hung it up. And it was basically, some guys, when they walked out to the games, they hit it, but it was always there. And Coach Miles had a lot of signs, but that sign was the main thing that you always saw. And when things, things when we were let go out of sea and uh, we left, they were throwing everything out from the third area. And I happened to, I mean, I guess I, maybe I should admit this, but I happened to sneak in and take all our stuff before they threw it out. And especially that sign, because it meant so much meant so much to me and I probably meant so much to coach Manos and, and the other plays. And I said, they're not. So I said, I'm taking it. And I showed coach Manos it. And I said, if you want it, it's yours. It's your saying, it's your, it was your program. It was the saying that started everything. 
but he says he'd rather me have it. So it's hung in my basement now. And I look at it every time when I'm working out now in the basement with no gym. Now, is that a phrase that will continue to go through your head even as a grown man? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, it means that it's, it, it, it's probably a phrase that, like I said, as a kid, I didn't understand, but probably shaped so many principles that I have now as a father, husband, man, and all that. So I want to get to your playing. Uh, you know, we, when you were playing, St. Joseph by the Sea ran a double wing offense that was brutal. It was physically brutal on any scout defense that went against it. For some reason, you were unfazed by it. You seemed to love going against it, as most defensive players hate it. They just want to tap out during scout team. What gave you that edge? I think uh, when I thought about it was um, I knew I was I – listen, I, I know, I know my, you, you love my story and all that. I knew I wasn't going to be the best player. I knew I just – sometimes you don't have the skills and talent. But I knew if I went against that offense and I could master it and I could go against it and I could take that beat in, there's, there's no other offense you're going to face like that. Just if it, it, it taught so many things. It teaches toughness going against it. It, it for a linebacker, it's probably one of the best offenses to learn how to read your keys and all that. You see pulling guard, you see guards down, and you see tackles pulling tackles down. It's such a great offense to learn as a linebacker. And I felt if I could take that offense on, and and I could and I could read that, I feel like it would just make me a better player. And I know Coach Hench hated me when I was a player. He would always look at me. I know it bothered him. And the thing that would bother me so much, uh, Coach Jomo or the other offense coaches, like he knows the plays, he hears the plays. That's what's making. And I swear, I swear, I swear on anything. I didn't know the plays. I didn't know what the plays meant to them. I was never in offensive meetings, or I wasn't an offensive player. So it was just, it was a great offense to make you. I think every long middle linebacker or any defensive player should go through that offense because it would just make you a much better player. Yeah, a tougher player. Uh, you're right, a more cerebral player. You have to read those guards pulling to know which way power is going or if it's counter on the way back. Uh, yeah, so 100%. I, I'm gonna, I, can't, I don't want to give away too much, but I'll just say that you were also the only linebacker ever who had figured out how to stop wedge, especially in a three-man front. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't want to tell other teams how to do it in case we ever run this thing again. But uh, it, it it was it was a glorious thing to watch you do it. Yeah, it was fun. That's it. It was just it, it was a fun offense to go. It was a fun offense to go against. Then you have the whole other aspect that you're going to get your friends and all that. But like I said, it it, it, it taught me lessons about X's and O's and footballs that I, you couldn't learn from um, like a modern spread offense or option offense. You know what? You, you say you're going against your friends, but when you were lined up against that offense, it's not like you're going against a spread offense. You are breaking each other's face in half, and it, it becomes almost a survival of the fittest ordeal every practice. Yeah, it was, and it was – it was. that's what it was. It was this – you're going head-to-head, -head, and what the game of football is and why it's so great is this other guy in front of you is trying to impose his will on you and make you – Not before your high school career. So as a freshman, were you like this dude starting middle linebacker? What were you as a freshman? Freshman, I was a fourth string offensive lineman. I was part of the, I think they, uh, they called it the gold line, G-O-L-D. And what they would do is, and it, I mean, it's a pretty good system. Our freshman coaches, when people wanted playing time, when it was the end of the game, they would call the blue line, gold line, so you know who could run out instead of doing one player at a time. And and listen, it was all fourth string offensive linemen. It had nothing to do with coaches. It had it all to do with me. I mean, freshman year camp, I didn't even go to. I went away on vacation. 
I wasn't even at camp. So, and I was, I never played football before, but yeah, I was fourth string old line. Maybe I got, maybe I got into two games the whole year. Maybe. So it's, so I had no, I've never played, I never played football before, but I never played linebacker. I think the first time I played linebacker was the last week of freshman year. And then I got into that game. As a long, that was so the first time I ever played see, the last play, week of freshman play year. Football. Did you go there to play football? Or you just went there and you decided to play football. I I actually went there because my sister went there. My sister was a softball player, so she went there for like three years. So my parents loved the school, and like I said, I never played football before. And I don't know. I got a thing in the mail uh, about joining football, and, and I, for so some then, reason, I just decided to join. I don't know why. So your I, sophomore I just, year, I just got a thing are you in the a mail, basically. No? <laughs> yes, sophomore year, I, I, I'm, I'm a full, I'm fully at linebacker, and um, say, uh, same staff, and and at that point, I realized how much I love the sport. I have all my friends there, my best friends are starters, and they're all they're all great football players. And that's when it, I think that's when for me it kicked in and I was actually like disappointed. I even missed practice. And from that point, I've said, I said, I would never miss a practice again or work out nothing. It didn't matter if it was volunteer or anything like that. And that's when I started to so start take my me through career that again, as a linebacker. I think that's a critical moment in your life. Like what exactly happened that made you said, I can't miss anymore. I think I just fell in love with the sport. I fell in love with football. And like I said, my friends were there. And I think what clicked in my head is, and like I said, I had all the coaches. I had Coach Manos. I had you coach you as a coach. I had Coach Clark, all those guys. I think the main thing, what I never realized was until I was an adult, is I never wanted to disappoint anyone. I didn't want to, say, I didn't want to be that guy that missed practice. And even though I wasn't that important, like I said, I wasn't a starter yet. I wasn't that important. I just always had that feeling. I was like, I didn't want to let Coach Manos down. I don't want to let you down, who believed so. Who listen? I was a four, like I said, I was a fourth string offensive lineman. Probably at that point, I was a third string. You guys didn't have to care, but you did. And I remember Coach Manos wouldn't let me quit. You wouldn't let me quit. Uh, all the coaches wouldn't let me quit. So I always had that feeling like these guys are paying attention to me when they really don't have to. They have bigger things to worry about, and and that's it. And I my main, I think my main. So on motivation that note, was I didn't want to disappoint anyone. What do you think is the anyone. difference between a player from your era and the modern high school athlete? Well, I've been out of coaching for a little, so <laughs> if I offend any modern athletes, I'm sorry. But I, I do talk to a lot of coaches. I talk to you uh, guys who are still coaching. I think the difference is now, I think it's all about me and not about we. I think it's about the college highlight tapes, the – the off-duty training schools, the the private trainers, the, the these high school, I guess you'd call them high school combines. And it's all about me, me. And I get it. I get it. You want to go to college. But I think it's more, it's it's not focused on a team thing where it's about it's about the team, it's about the offense, it's about it's about winning, it's about winning, and it's about just coming together as a team and doing it. Oh, a lot of it's like, oh, I don't like this offense. It's not going to get my receiving stats up. It's not going to get this up. It, it's not going to get me to college. And I think that's what a, the difference is. Yeah, I know is Coach Clark has said it to me when I, when I was becoming a head coach. He said, the best advice I can give you is to tell these kids, appreciate your high school football. 
don't keep looking past it to the next level. Just enjoy the time you have in high school. Let everything else take care of itself. Yeah, and I and you know what? And like I said, I, I don't mean if I'm putting, I'm, I'm brutally honest. So if there are people are offended by this, I'm sorry. I think it's a lot with the parents, and the parents are like, uh, uh, are so much involved now. Like when I played high school football, my father would just be like, "All right, go have fun." It, it not once did he ever. Oh, you got to do this to get into college. You got to do that. It, it, you got to you got to get more stats. You shouldn't be playing this position. It was just have fun, and it was just. And I think that's when you really get the most out of football, especially high school football is when you just settle down and it's more about this team and, and this winning and that instead of don't worry about the combines and the huddle films and making a uh, <laughs> and music video highlight film. You talked about disappointing people or not wanting to disappoint them. I remember the only times you'd ever get down when you would say like, coach, I, I just don't want to let the team down. I don't want, it wasn't about you. It was about you thinking, okay, I didn't make the right play. I just let Castellano down on this play. Yeah. And that's what I was always afraid of. I was always, I was always, I didn't want to be the guy. And listen, I, you know, my group of friends, we're ruthless. We're brutally honest. I didn't want to be that guy that, that was cost the game or let them down or, or was the reason why we weren't doing it. And like I said, I knew I wasn't going to be this greatest linebacker ever. So in my head, I felt like maybe what I could contribute at from a sophomore, and I guess in junior and senior year, is go on, go against our offense and make it the hardest thing they ever went against. That is beautiful. Like, first of all, how many high school kids have that mentality? And I knew you did. You knew that in the beginning you were a role player just trying to make our offense good. And we tell our offense, the reason you're that good is because of this kid. The way he practices is making you that good. And then you make it up to be a varsity senior starting middle linebacker. So how did you make that leap from, you know, this role player scout, scout team guy to a starting middle linebacker in the varsity? I think, I mean, it's, it's all credit to you guys. I mean, it's all credit to guys like you, Coach Manos. Uh, Coach Clark was in, uh, Coach Clark was, uh, my senior was a lot more involved um, with varsity. He was a JV head coach, but now he's varsity. Coach Hench, I mean, even though, even though I was a linebacker and I never dealt with Coach Hench, such a big influence, I mean, in football, football and life. And I think it was, it was mainly because of you guys. It was mainly because, Lifting the the way Matt, uh, Coach Mandel's had us lifting, it was always it was always a competition. It was always who, who's going to get this. Oh, you know what? You see guys that were the same shape as me getting more weight. Okay, I got to get this weight. See like a you see like a guy like uh, Banano doing that. Like oh, even though I was going to bench with Banano bench, but you wanted to get close to it. It was just we were a great we were a great close knit team. We were close friends, and we had great coaches. And we just want, we just all want to compete. Had That's a lot what it was, of I think. tough things happen to you. You know, a coaching staff get fired in the beginning of a season, a teammate pass away. You never let it break you guys up. I feel like it just made you closer and closer. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 obviously, we can't, it, you, it, obviously, it balled at us and we went through a lot of stuff. I was just talking about the other day with Coach Mann. I was probably, I mean, it was probably like one of, not a game wise, one of our worst decisions was walking off the field when, because we were just unmature kids walking off the field when they brought <laughs> Sal Fracavento up to varsity. It's a little thing that you look back on, but it was like, it was probably the worst thing we ever did, but we were just, we were just a close knit group. We were a tough group. We didn't, we, instead of letting things bother us, we joked around and we, and we got through a lot of it. And it was, it was that. And we just, we just didn't like, 
we didn't care about the scoreboard. We just weren't going to let anyone that, bully that us. That is so true. And I remember coaching I you guys. Really I had to be very careful what I told you guys. You know, usually you got to tell defenses to toughen up or, you know, let, let's let's reroute this player a little bit. I tell you guys to reroute a player and you guys are literally beating him up on the side of the field. So there was a crazy mentality to what you guys did. So <laughs> let's get to, as a player, what team was your biggest rivalry and why? I guess I guess the easy I guess the obvious answer is going to be more Catholic. I think that I mean at that point where where we were as a program as we were moving up, it was still really the only island team we were playing. I know we played Peter's senior year, but it was really from sophomore from from when Coach Miles took over from sophomore to just senior year. It was really more, more, more as JV, more freshmen, more seniors. So. Plus, we, we knew the kids. They hung out with the same girls we hung out with, like all this high school stuff. And it was, it was such – I mean, I don't – I mean, listen, like I said, I, don't, I can't talk for everyone. It was such a rivalry. I don't even think people see nowadays. It was – I mean, we got banned from basketball games. They actually had to play C versus Moore basketball game with no fans. That's how big this rivalry was. I mean, we were going to baseball games and, 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 and yelling matches were starting and other stuff. That was stupid kid stuff was starting, but it was just such a, it was a legit rivalry as they had run as as I saw it. Yeah. There was was actually a a hatred amongst the teams. And obviously that's not the goal of high school football, but it just became, it became, now let me ask you this, because I don't know what these announced. Did the hatred come from on the field stuff or off the field stuff? I think it was pro. It, I mean, there was not a lot of off-field incidents where made would made us hate them. I think it was just because it's a Staten Island thing. You're playing Staten Island kids, you know. And I think that, and like I said, it's not like that high school. It's just your. It's bound to happen. Two Staten Island teams, two groups of kids that hang out with all the same people, the trash talking and all that. It's just gonna happen. And and then there was there there was stuff by Moore that they did some they did some sketchy stuff, and to make us hate them even more. And it was just like, I think it was just more because it was a Staten Island thing and it was two Staten Island teams going at it. And it really, there was, and I think we were just close in players and close in competition where like at that point, well, like when I was a freshman, Peters was triple A, they were the top thing. Then when we were going up, Farrell was a little bit of a Farrell didn't really play Staten Island teams when we were in school because they were higher up than us. So it was just a, a mix where more and seeing they always played each other. Yeah, and I, for we four played years, them. Your, I, I think there. it was your junior year. I think we lost twenty to eight or something like that. In a, I'd say a pretty close game because they were rocking everybody. Then we meet them in the championship game, and they win on the very last play of the game. And then I don't know if you remember your senior year. You know, the whole year they're working out of that veer option offense, and then the, that game they break out into what is now known as spread. You know, shotgun empty. It's like what is going on? Yeah. Yeah, and like I and like you said. I think that we we played them in championship games. We played them in playoffs. It was just always C versus more for my four years. It was always C C versus more, and and like I said, it was just it was like a perfect hurricane where you knew everyone and this, and we were always compared with them and always going against them. And they had, like I said, there was the controversies off the field. There was controversies on the field, like in that championship game where I still think we should have won and the the ref should be fired, and. uh I'll never leave that moment down. The ref not throwing the flag on the off, uh, off oh, sides from the wide the receiver. Ball snapped, right? Yep. But yes, he leaves before, and we watched that video. So he leaves before the ball snaps, 
and you see the ref go and he grabs the he grabs his flag to go throw it and for some so, reason the ref doesn't throw it. And yeah, I think they wind they up, scored I don't know on if they that up scoring there, but they wind up yeah, yeah, they score, yeah, yeah. They they wind up scoring there, which and you know the the great thing about that game was I think before I think earlier that year we got killed by them. And we're going in, no one thought we had a chance. They beat us single handedly and all that. And we brought it to I mean, you guys, you you coaches worked your head, you worked your butts off and got a game plan. We actually made it it, it was two different right. games. And it was a, that, that's a that. tough and we'll get into this. Maybe we'll so get into it, it now. But that's scene. a tough offense to stop. That veer triple option. I know <laughs> it's not popular now because they're not throwing the ball all the time, but the way Moore ran it. They were constantly shifting, trading their tight end. They were constantly going in on balance sets. They had uh, ineligible or eligible tight ends, and we had to keep moving around with it. So it was a, a nightmare for me. So let, let me ask you this question. You finish playing football. You become a coach. What offense do you think was the toughest to stop as a coach? Uh, I, mean, I guess I could, I, could, I could take an easy road and say St. Anthony's. But the offense I really hated going against was Iona Prep. I think I think because Iona Prep, they did so many things. They did screens. They did read option. They did spread offense. And they just had dudes. They had guys like Jeffrey Mack and all the quarterbacks that were related to Wellington Mara and all these people. And they just had dudes. And their offense... Yeah, the offense had so many different aspects of it. They could they could kill you with screens. They could kill you with wide receiver screens, middle screens. They could kill you with read option. They could kill you with passing. And it was actually, uh, I mean, give a shout out to Coach Clark. We played, I forgot what year it was. We played them one year, and it's probably one of the best coaching moments I ever had. And if anyone's a coach, it, it's like just a great, me and him sat in the office. It was just me and him. We had Iona Prep. We had a team banged up. We were missing people. And me and him, I think we sat in the office for like five hours with a, just a whiteboard, and we drew up a whole new defense. And it was like a great learning experience as a coach. We just did X's and O's all day, and we actually came up with almost a whole new defense. And it did pretty good against them with a banged-up team. They were just so hard to stop. Like I said, they had the players. And like St. Anthony's, of course, had players. But now they that just when you had and so Coach many Clark different sat down, was Iona that the prep. game you guys beat them at Iona Prep? I forget. I'm trying to think. I don't know if we beat them. I, it was a close game. My memory is shot on these all these games. But I'm not sure. But I remember it was a banged-up team, and we actually put a whole new defense, all new play calls, all that. And, it was, and it, it was just, from a coaching standpoint, it was just a great experience, especially with a guy like Coach Clark, who's one of the smartest X and O's guys that I know, just to sit there and just bring it all in and just actually create a whole new defense within a week. And well, look, those screens hours. were a nightmare because they, they really neutralized, you know, I know we like to blitz a lot and you sort of blitzing all the time. And now these screens just eating you up, eating you up, got linemen running laterally and, and then vertically back and forth. So yeah, hats off to you guys. That's a big win now. Yeah. And I know, I know they're probably, I don't know if they're listening, but they were so well coached too. They, the linemen ran the screens. They ran the now, screens. Perfect. Would you consider them I mean, as a coach? They, would you consider them yeah, the yeah, biggest no. rivalry you had as you know as a, for C or was it a different team? No. So this is where controversy might come in. <laughs> I never, as a coach, for me, it wasn't Farrell. I know the kids were Farrell. I know all the other coaches were Farrell. For me, for my the way I viewed it was, I for my biggest rivalry was St. Anthony's. They were the best, and that's and and and. When, when I was a player, Coach Mouse sat in the locker room and, they, and we were 19th ranked, and he's like, St. Anthony's is the goal. 
And that and for me, it was always the goal. They were for me, it was them. We had to beat them. If you wanted any legitimacy, and from Staten Island beating Farrell, it, it changed all for all of us. But from a CHFL and from a great it would for a great win for the program, beating St. Anthony's was is they, and they were just have to run that same coach. offense that uh, that Morant. Yeah, and I mean, like Rick Flair says, to be the best, one hundred percent. And and look, I think, I think we could almost that. say we we did it once on not on paper with a thirty six thirty five loss, but there was a, a missed field goal that was given to them, and a I don't know what it was, a fourth and one that they didn't get in on, and they gave it to them, and then you guys actually did beat them at St. Anthony's. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, from a and from I know, like I said, from a rivalry standpoint, we had such great games with that. And it was, it was, they were such hard hitting games. I mean, things we did to like say, listen, when we were growing up, St. Anthony's was, they were the Patriots. They were everyone. They were 65 game win streak at home champ, uh, champ uh, trophy case full of trophies. And we had, and we, and we brought it to them. I mean, we made, we, we, we were making them walk off the field and they couldn't, they couldn't play anymore. The quarterback was crying. Kids were, and, and it was close games, missed field goals or, I mean, Joe Galante, uh, I think it was Joe Galante, Joe Galante's big pass to bring it in. And then, then uh, 2009, down 14 nothing. up, here it goes again. So he's going to lose again. And us coming and ending there, I think it was their 65 It's not easy to go up streak. to Long Island on a Friday night and win. It was it's just impossible. No, and like I said, you get off. And I remember when we were seniors, we scrimmaged them. And when I was a senior... We got off joking, like, "Oh, here's St. Anthony's. They got golden toilets and uh, and 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 a giant facility, billion dollar facility, and that they were and just going up there and going against the uh, uh, Rich Reichert, one of the probably greatest. They, they say he's the greatest coach ever. It was. Just, it's just. It was just like for me that was that's the. So robbery. what made that's you decide to coach after you finished playing? Well, it's funny. I was actually outside the fitness center. And Coach P needed help coaching, and he asked me. So, Coach P was actually the first guy who asked me to get into coaching. And I got in, and as a play, like like what I did was a player. I I did was a coach. I wasn't missing. I, I refused to miss practice. I didn't want to disappoint the players. And sort of like you, I got a group of kids. I got Teddy Colhessis, Billy Blanco, Pete Amorosi, all Pete Baraji, all those kids as my first group. And I winded up moving up real quick. I went with them for JV, and then I went with up for I was with them for four years. That's it. And the thing about coaching, I loved I loved you guys hanging out with you guys again. So we had a great staff. I mean, we had a, we, we we all gelled together. We were all we had good times. And then it was the kids. It was it was we had great. Listen, we, we may not have the best kids. We may not have these Penn State and and D one kids, but we have the hardest working kids. So what, I'll put them up against anyone. As a player, what was the worst coaching advice you had ever been given? Yep. As a player? Whew, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's probably playing O-line. I mean, whoever put me at O-line? I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. I think I was, I was, I was a kid. kid five, five, maybe one hundred. I think I was a hundred and like 30 pounds. Glasses, braces, I mean, I don't know why. I, I mean, I get it. It's fourth <laughs> string online, but I don't know what made them think. I, so I as you matured an into a great coach, what is something that you used to believe to be true about football that you now know to be false? Starting. I thought, I thought 
I mean, as a player, and I thought playing, being a starter is the most important thing, being this good football player. But there's actually a player um, who made me rethink it, K-Mac. And I didn't, I don't know if we stay in really K-Mac? close I mean, contact. K-Mac is one of the, my favorite players. And I have a lot. And he's one of my favorite. And it made me realize how important football is. Now, as, an, as a 33-year-old, when I look back at K-Mac's career, I don't know if he listens. Hopefully, he's listening. Shout out to K-Mac. Um, he, he was a kid. He never played. He, he, he probably knew he was never going to play. I mean, he never got into a game. He maybe got into games like only blowouts and all that. But he came every day. And he, and, he, and he worked hard and all that. And now, you think like not playing and not being a starter, not being good, and would make you be like, this football thing's terrible. What, what do I even like it? I think it just made him love it even more. And now he's a college coach, college football coach. And he's doing great things. And even when I talk to him, he still calls me coach, which I, I was like, you're the coach now. I'm not the coach. I don't know why I call me coach. But I think that's what really showed how – K-Mac's a guy who shows you how important football really is. And it doesn't matter if you play or you – know, like, it goes back to like these kids now. Who cares about college? It's easy to play college football. So many college – Things. I mean, I wasn't even that good. And I, and, and, and I remember Coach Joy was a college coach. He said, come play college football. It's just it's, – there's so many more important things that you get from football. And I think K-Mac's a great – Yeah, he's a division I mean, a great one example college that. football coach. He is, in my mind, one of the ultimate success stories of high school football, especially at St. Joseph-by-the-Sea. But it's, it's awesome because I'm thinking about me coaching you, right? And I think you're one of the ultimate success stories, if not the ultimate success story. Now, you're talking about him like he's the ultimate success story. It's just great that – I don't know, that, that you can pay it forward or that guys see it in each other. And I think that's what made the culture of that place great for a while is that that's what you were looking for, just that bl- blue-collar, work-hard yeah. kid. and. And that's what we were. We were these. We were these. We were these tough, uh, short South Shore kids. Not all of us were from South Shore, but that's what everyone thought. And the reason, if when I coached, if I could help some of these kids out, it was a success. If I changed Billy Blanco or Teddy Kalesi and I helped them out, then then I did what I had to do. But it was just great. From it was always a chip on our shoulder. All C plays, not just my year. It was all chip on the shoulders. And I remember going into these games and no one thought going into lift off when we did those liftoffs, no one thought we would, we would have a chance and all, and we would just blow people out and everyone would see how, and probably one of the greatest compliments we ever got as a, I think as a coaching staff and as a program is the Curtis head coach. Uh, sorry, I forgot his name. Uh, Gambadell. Yeah. Came up to us. And this is a, this is a, I mean, yep. he's a PSAL legend, putting, <laughs> putting trophies every year came up to us and he goes, I schedule you guys every year because it tells me how tough of a team I'm going to have. He's like, I got to go against you because I know when I go against you, I know if my team's going to be tough or if my team's not going to be tough. And that's what we want. Yeah. I think that was And I think that's why we love that ever. guy too, just for him to say something like that. He's always been good to our program. He was good to me when I was over uh, being a head coach. He's a good coach. And to, for him to want to square up against us, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Those, those guys are great. Those PS, a lot of those PSL guys are great. And I think they realized what we had and, and what we were doing, and they were. So, coach, I got to ask a, a kind of personal question, and you could throw any one of your friends under the bus. But which one of your high school teammates did you love sure. to play with, but would have hated to coach? <laughs> like two of them, and they're my best fr- They're my best friends in the world. Is Joe Castellano, <laughs> and Joe Ignary. And Ignary. Yeah, yeah. Playing yeah. with them, Joe Ignary. Yes, I'm sorry. And uh, and actually, shout out to Joe Castellano's wife's in labor Good right luck, now, Joe. so hopefully he's having a baby soon. And uh, but 
playing with them, I mean, they were probably the best teammates to play with. They had your back. They, they wouldn't let anyone walk over you. And even if they didn't like you, if another player disrespects you, they, they, I mean, it would probably be bad news for them. Coaching-wise, they probably just go tell me <laughs> F myself when I was trying to coach them, like, or ignore it. So maybe that's why I wouldn't want to coach them. But playing-wise, and, and, per, and even person-wise, I mean, they're the two greatest guys ever. I mean, I mean, they're just my best friends. And that's another thing that you get out of football. You get these, these relationships. And then I have well, I'm going to say this because I, I, those two guys, I remember coaching them. I was, they were super responsive to everything we did. It was always, yes, coach. There was never a thing they wouldn't do that I asked them to do. But I'd always think in my head, what is stopping this kid from taking a swing at me? Because I knew that they had a certain edge about him, you know, but I, I, I always felt like, What's a, what's gonna make this kid not tell me to go f myself or beat me up on this field right now? But they never did. They were so I'm thinking I loved coaching them, but I'm sure your relationship with them has made them treat you a little differently than they treated me. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think that's why, I, I, as a coach, I let them go go play. So is this uh, you tell me if it's a redundant question or not? But who is the ideal player? Like if you don't have to say a name, but just give me the characteristics of the ideal player that you'd want to coach. I'll say names. I'm honest. I, I don't pull back. They're offended. They know me. They know I love everyone. I think it's just as a player, like I said, you just want someone that's going to come there and give everything you got. Respectful. I mean, everyone was respectful for me as a coach, and I thank them for that. It's just hardworking. Give you everything you got. Going to show up. Going to listen. And I had tons of those kids. I mean, I can I can want to. I mean, listen, I, the coaches make fun of me every time they say who's my favorite player. They all know. They think I'm going to say Teddy Classy. But Teddy's up there, but I had great – I got. I mean, I think Billy Blanco's up there. And I think one guy that people don't – I mean, we had guys like Tommy Ohm who – just Tommy Ohm, Teddy Colhesse, Joe Sarno. I mean, a lot of guys in advanced training that just gave everything they got. And that's all we wanted. We just wanted everything you got. We didn't want no lips – like Coach Mano says, lip sucking and all this. And I think I'll say one kid – I'll give you one kid. One kid, if I could re- replicate and make 11 of them, is Tom Gally. Slippery Galley. I would take 11. I would take 11 galleys. And not like I said, I'd take 11 Classies and 11 Blancos. But the kid was, I mean, what was he? 5'7", I think. five. I mean, I don't even know if he's that. Soaking wet, maybe 170. I don't even know. Kid, Mount St. Michael's breaks his, I mean, dislocates his shoulder. Doesn't come out of the game and makes a game-winning tackle to, to, to do it. And, like, that's the kid you want. Didn't care, never lip sucked, never said, ah, maybe I should go this way. Maybe we should run this play. Oh, maybe I, I can't lift yeah, today. And you're, just uh, might have, I, I doubt he was and, 170 pounds and he was an outside linebacker. You know, we got him on one end, Sarno on the other end, and that was just like a legit, that was a legit defense. Yeah, and it was just like, you know what, you know what other opposite coaches, but they see this jacked up Joe Sarno and they see Galley, and they most of them were probably like, all right, let's run it towards that kid. And he, you know what? He didn't, he maybe, I don't know. I never asked him. Maybe he used it as a chip and, and, and everyone tried to run at him and it never worked. If you can go back and maybe you already answered it, but you're a grown man now, you see your 14 year old self. Is there a piece of advice you're given other than the starting advice or is that, is that the advice you'd give yourself? I, yeah, I think it's, it's sort of like, it's just, I would tell myself, just relax. It's not that serious. Just enjoy. Like, like you said, we're about Coach Claw. Just enjoy it. And I did. But it's just, I think, when I got into game senior, it was a little nerve-wracking. It's first time started. 
just just relax. It's not that serious. And enjoy what you're going to get out of this in the future than making tackles and the stats. So and one all of that. my uh, last question, coaching questions for you before we get into physical fitness. That may be really a question, but it's more of a statement. But you had said something <laughs> to me. It was probably your second or third year before you left coaching, right? So maybe you coached with me for three or four years, and it was like there was one or two years left after that. We got a new kid come on the team. It was probably the middle of September, and he, we just said, stuck him at linebacker, and he's making every single play. And you looked at me and said, I said, how is this kid so good? You said, because he's new. We haven't slowed him down yet. Once he learns everything, he's not going to make any plays. And it, it really it, – I was started <laughs> reflecting on it, and it was like, this guy's right. This coach is right. We as coaches have been burning out players. And every time a new kid shows up, he's awesome. And then we flood his head with stuff. We wear him down in practice. And now he stinks. Or he's just like, you know, half the, the speed he used to be. So did you, did that stick in your head too? Or did you just make that statement passing? No, I always believed in it. I mean, I, I mean, as a coach, I say, if I ever become a defensive coordinator, I don't think, I think my coaching days are done. I don't know. I won't say never is never, never say never. But I, even as a coach, I said, if I ever become defense coordinator, I'd run a simple defense. I first, my first hire would be coach Sal because he's, he's a great coach and I would need him to teach man press. I put my corners inside man press not to tell him not to let anyone get inside and just blitz. And, and just, and just, it's a, such a simple game. And yeah, sometimes that slot receiver might be covered. And yeah, sometimes that guy might not be covered, but once you start trying to account for everything, it starts getting confusing. And I think, like I said, I think it's just high school. These are high school kids. And I think it works on the other way. That's why I, I would always say just blitz them, blitz them. Let this 15-year-old quarterback try to disguise a blitz and try to – and when the corners are inside, try to throw an outside fade or try to throw outside passes when he has people breathing on him. It's such a simple game, I think, especially in high school. These, these are, the kids aren't excellent and old smart. I think just slow it down. And, yeah, like I said, sometimes you might not have some positions covered, but that's it. And not everything has to be covered. And just have fun and just slow and just – that, that one Easy statement, thing. it might have been, I don't know, at this point, seven years ago. It actually changed the way I scheme. It changed the way I run indie. It changed everything I did. So I, just for me to you, that really, hopefully in a positive way, it changed the way I coach. Because now for me, it's simple. Simplify I'm glad. and run. I forgot the kid. I, I, I wish I knew a kid. I think it was Keith something. I, I think it was, was uh, Keith. I forgot his was, name. I believe his last name I was apologize. De Simone, and he ended up going to tight end. But he made every single play. Every okay, single yes. play when on yes. scout team okay. and coach Hench stole him, but you said, don't worry. Cause he's not going to be good anyway. After we keep practicing him so much. <laughs> no offense. <D-Sone. laughs> but he was a pretty good tight end too. So I guess this is going to be my real yeah. last question about football. What is your best recommendation on how to stop this modern spread offense? How do you slow these guys down? I think, I think like what I just said, I think it's just, I, I, I believe taking what I said, like you put those corners on the inside, Tell them don't man press. Tell them don't let anyone inside and just blitz them. I think, I think it's easy to easy to teach kids to blitz and get into certain gaps than for these offensive coaches to adjust to it. You have to adjust. You have to tell these fifteen year olds to adjust blitz schemes. And a quarterback has four seconds. A high school quarterback has four four five seconds to read this whole play and try to throw a pass. So I would take away the easy throws from him and and. And, and, and just blitz them. That's my thing. I mean, I, I was always an aggressive guy. And I know it sounds like, I mean, common stuff, blitz, blitz, blitz. But it's, I think that's it. I think just don't, I mean, let them make their thinking process hard from an O-line to a quarterback standpoint. Do you ever wish standpoint. that uh, you could be born again and not coach defense a day in your life and be an offensive coach? 
<laughs> no, I love defense. I can never give up defense. Uh, listen, they, 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 we, it's easier for them. They know where they're going and all that. But you know what? I like. I think in my whole career, I like the hard stuff. So, I mean, I was an offensive coach towards the end of They needed coach. I coached tight end. I coached running back. I coached linebacker to help because I do anything for Coach Hench. But it's just defense. It's just a different thing. It's just – it's a different mentality. It's a di- – you got to – you got to be guys that you have to have guys like Coach Clark and you, and especially guys like Coach Sal. You, it's just a different well, thing. If you're asking me, I would love to have been born an offensive coach and not have to worry about breaking down 700 hours of film. <laughs> All right, on, on to fitness. So uh, this is something else you probably don't know. Well, first thing you probably do know is that there's no big, bigger Tim Ferriss fan in the world than me. I, my wife hates that I even bring his name up. Like I rank him as one of the highest human beings in the world. Having said that. You were the guy that got me on to, to following Tim Ferriss. You had started on the slow carb, carb diet. You were reading the four-hour body. Just talk me through it. Like, how, What experiences have you had with the slow carb diet? First, I apologize to your wife for getting you involved <laughs> with Tim Ferriss. Actually, who got me – I, I got to give credit with credit. Too. If you're giving me credit, I got credit. Coach Manos actually got me started on it, on the slow carb. And for me, it's my wife laughs at me. She's like, why do you always go back to this diet? I go, for me, it's the only one that worked. Every diet works, but it's the only one I could keep doing. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a diet where it's, it's laid out. It's five simple rules. I've given it to everyone. I gave, I gave it to my aunt when she, after she had a baby, she lost 20 pounds. She never got off the couch and lifted so or can, worked out. Can you explain what it is? Sim- it's just what, a what simple is the diet. diet. Yeah, it's basically, I mean, uh, hope I, uh, let me, hopefully I don't mess it up. Hopefully Tim's not listening. Uh, it's five rules. It's basically don't eat anything white such as milk, all that, uh, dairy and all that. Number two, um, you got to eat three meals a day. And those three meals consist of a meat, egg, chicken, a vegetable, and a bean. And for breakfast, um, preferably egg whites. But the main th- the big thing is what, it's what a lot of people mess up with and they don't start seeing weight is you got to eat within like 30, I think it's like 30 minutes once you wake up. So you wake up, you got to eat within that 30 minutes. Third rule is don't drink calories, such as iced tea, soda. Um, you could drink coffee, but it's got to be like no, it's got to be black and all that. I think you got some cream in it. He lets it. I just always drank it black. Fourth rule is don't eat fruit because all the sugar and all that. And the fifth rule, which makes the diet, it's the it's it's why I do it and I keep doing it is God bless the cheat, the cheat day. day. God eat whatever bless you. you want. Eat whatever you want as much as you want. He actually says in the book, eat until you, you want to throw up. <laughs> And, and the thing is, the thing is you eat so much that for the rest of the week, you don't think about eating that. I mean, I lost, I've lost 25. Every time I do it, I lose at least, I mean, I think the least I ever lost was 10 pounds in a month. I've lost 15, 20, 25 pounds. And I've had cheat days where I've eaten like two Big Macs, a whole sleeve of Oreos. I mean, no coach Manos has ridiculous cheat days and he loses all that and he loses all that and he loses weight still with it. And, um, I think that's what makes, I think that's what people yeah, the bean stuff's hard, but there's ways around that. You don't have to eat beans for breakfast. You eat a little, little more beans for lunch. But the cheat day is why yeah, I love the diet. What, you feel what does like he call it? He says, like, he's basically no, realizing you're not going to stick to any diet 100%. So he's just building it into the program. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I've done the I, – I, one other diet that's worked for me that I tried recently is the carnivore diet where you just eat meat. It's worked. It's great. I mean, I feel better. I feel, I feel more energy. I, I, I feel great. It's just with a lot of these diets, it's tough. You can't eat all meat. You can't like, you got can't, no, people don't want to count calories and this. 
And what, the, what the, that bean diet does is it gives you that cheat day. You actually feel like a normal human being. And I think with any diet, I think that's good. I think to do a diet, you do a diet for a month, take a week or two off, and then get back on. I think it helps because you, you don't get sick of it. And, and like I said, that cheat diet makes you feel like a normal human being. What is being. the uh, most weight you've put on on a cheat day? I think I put on like seven pounds, five or seven pounds. I, I did it. I, I mean – I probably could have lost so much more weight. I, I really, I really took the cheat day literally when he said just eat whatever you want. I mean, Coach Miles put on. Me and Coach Miles just have battles who could put on more for the cheat day. But I think, I think, like I said, that's the best part of the diet. You feel like a normal human being, and it, it works. I mean, you eat like that where you're full, and you eat, you try to get everything you want. I would get bacon, egg, and cheeses in the morning. You get fast food. You get Chinese food. And for the rest of the week, you're like, oh, you can't even think about it. Yeah, you eat I, so I don't much. crave a brownie. You know, I, I'm not on the slow carb diet anymore. I'm at a, a different one now, but I, I do still have that cheat day or a cheat meal, depending on how my body fat's going. But man, does it really help you not want a brownie on a Tuesday? Because you know, no, I'm going to eat 50 of them on a Sunday. That's it. Yeah, well, uh, listen, I'm not in the best shape. I'm not a diet expert. I mean, the, the the thing I love the most is to inform myself. I listen to audio books and podcasts and all that. And the biggest thing I got out of dieting is you need that break. You could do a diet for a month. You need that cheat day, or maybe you go a week not doing a diet, then you get back on. It's so big because if you keep doing it, you're going to get sick of it, and then you wind up two months later, you, you, you gain 30 pounds from just eating. Quick side question. What is your uh, go-to podcast? Oh, that's, I, I, do, I still listen to Tim Ferriss, I have to say, but my go-to podcast is probably Rogan. Good choice. I mean, it's just it's just different people. It's I just love learning new things, and that's what he does. I mean, you got people, and and you know, the, and he even says on his podcast, there's some stuff you don't like. This I, I don't really listen to the comedian ones, some MMA ones I listen to. Oh, there's some people I just don't. I, I want to listen. I don't want to listen to like the Bernie Sanders one, or or there's some guy, and you could just skip it. But he has so many different people, and you could just learn. You just learn so much. Like with everything going the coronavirus, you learn how they had a doctor, and you learn how important right. vitamin d is and all this and like you never even knew that and because no one's talking about it he just has so many people on that no that aren't famous or they're not their message isn't getting out there and you get shout to out to it. dr Rhonda patrick and vitamin d take your vitamin d people yeah. my only yes. issue with joe rogan yeah. is that i can't keep up you know he's doing three or four three-hour podcasts a week and i'm like i'm yes. missing something come on slow it down well, see, I work in I work in Long Island, so I, I mean, my I have a morning commute about like fifty minutes, fifty five minutes. So I get my audio books and shout out to Pete. I heard the podcast with Pete Paraji. He said he wanted to read more books. I'm gonna give him a piece of advice: audio books. It's the best thing ever, especially if you commute. You're on a bus. It's it's I it, you get so much information and, and you don't have to. And also, the other podcast. Did you, uh, I don't know if you heard the one with Alberino, and I got a lot of heat for keep bringing this up. But the, the man said he read five books over this quarantine. Yeah. Do, do you believe him? I, you know, I, I believe it. I mean, I, I'm a big book guy. I, I was talking. Uh, we have a group chat: me, Tronzo, Deepalato, Matt Cast, Joe Neary, and Coach Manos. And we were talking about audio books and all that. I, when I'm at home, I love a physical book. I can't do a Kindle and all that. My wife goes crazy because I keep just buying books. But when I'm in the car, I love audio books. I mean, I, Aberino's always been a guy. Now he's a physical trainer and all that, I think. And he just loves knowledge. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, that's what's. No, I believe him. I believe him. I gave him a hard time, but I. That's, a, that's what's, that's what's so great about this world that we live in today. You got podcasts, the earth, their information's out there. You want to learn something? That's what it is. It's out there.
is there a book that you've read recently that you would gift to a friend or recommend as like a, a life changer? Oh, I think, uh, uh, and I read so many books. I mean, I'm reading a history book now. I, I bought it so long ago and uh, coach Hench actually loved it. I'm reading it now. It's actually, it's just, it's just a, it's a basic uh, unpolitical history book. I don't know if I recommend where it changed people's lives, but it's just to learn about, you learn about things that you never learned about. I mean, I don't know what book. I don't know. I, I don't know if this, I guess Tim Ferriss. I mean, that book changed a lot of the ways I thought about stuff. I mean, now, did you read the, did you read the four hour work week too, or just the four hour body? I read, I didn't read the four hour work week. Um, I read four hour body. Actually, now that's, they say, I think it's, it's other book uh, tools. I think it was tools of Titans. I think yes, everyone yep. should read. I think it's just got great. It's just great information in there. I think it's, it's got great quotes. It's from all different people, pol- all different political backgrounds and social background. I think it's a great book for everyone to read and all that. And I, I'm going to piggyback that. And sorry, Mrs. Mahoney, but tribe of mentors, another, I haven't, book. I haven't read it yet, I mean, but I do have, I bought it. I do have it. I just haven't got to it yet. If it's like uh, 500 yeah. pages, I think I dog-eared uh, 500 pages. Like every page, I was like, oh, this is good. This is good. This yeah, is good. my wife laughs because like when I read books, I, I highlight stuff and I write stuff down just cause, so I can remember it. And uh, like those books, are all, I mean, Tools of Titans all highlighted with stuff and stuff I like and all that. Well, now he – I think you know this. He came out with the podcast of Tools of Titans. So some, He came out with an audio book of it, but now he's got either the person talking yes. or the audio book version of Tools of Titans. I, and like I said, he, his podcast is almost like Rogan in a sense where he has a lot of different people uh, different people on it that you can learn so much for. Yeah, I, I do love that he dissects the greatest people and, and you get to see patterns of greatness depend, regardless of the field. There's patterns yes, of greatness. and you see – I mean you see all these successful people and how, how they are successful because they all do these little things. And it's a, like I said, I mean I, I, when I was a kid, I wasn't really – I, didn't, I was really lazy when it came to school, but as an adult, I just love learning new things and new perspectives and all that. So I, this podcast and audiobooks have really changed the world. So two, two last questions for you. The, the second to last one. You, when I first asked you to do this, because, I, again, I have so much respect for you as a coach and as a football player, you said, no one's going to want to hear that I've been doing build like a badass program <laughs> all the time. So. But that's obviously not what this uh, this whole podcast is about. It's training. It's really getting into the the type of conversations we had and what makes people tick. And kind of like Tim Ferriss, trying to find patterns of just successful people in, in the football world or the training world. So for you, what has it been like? Why have you stuck with built like a badass? I think it's this. I think just like the the slow carb. It's I need I need for me I need things like written out in a nice way where I understand it and all that. And it's so easy. And I think that's what the the Franco training program does sets it out. All you got to do is get your one rep max and bench, or if you want to squat or deadlift and your pull up and you just get those one rep max. And then you just go from there and it spells it out. If there's some workouts you don't understand, there's YouTube videos of it. It's just, I mean, now I know I understand all of them, but I'm saying if you get, if you start getting into it, there's YouTube, you just click the link and the workout comes up, tells you it's all written out. And I think it's just, it has all different things. It has a powerlifting aspect of it. It has more of a dynamic aspect, like you guys do with advanced training. It it has it has cardio in it. It's just it, it touches everything. And I think, especially in today's crazy world, where you have work and you have kid, and I, I have a kid, and I and 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 I'm trying to do all it. It's three days a week. 
You all you got, you just got to commit yourself for an hour. And it even says forty five minutes to an hour, three days a week. And and how did you how did you hear about? I this? think one of someone sent it to me. I don't know if it was Morano. It might have actually been. I think it's it was Steve Roman. Steve Roman sent it to me, and uh, from I still have the email. I think too from like maybe it was two thousand thirteen, something like that. I don't even know. <laughs> but and he sent it to me, and it's just I I, I haven't found the workout that lays it out for me. This is what you got to do. This is it. This is four sets of this. Here's the percentage, and that's it. And you said you've been doing this since, well, for like the oh, last yeah. seven years, right? And 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 my and listen, I, I, it's my fault. Maybe my body hasn't changed as much, but I've if I do it, and I complete the program, and at the end of the program, you do all your one rep maxes. It gets me probably adds ten to fifteen pounds onto every from from bench to squat, or if you deadlift. Or even if uh, even pull-ups. Is it hard to follow that program right now during this uh, pandemic? It is extremely hard. What I, I actually been doing in my I do it in my basement, and uh, my daughter loves it because I go. She hangs out. She has a playroom down there, so she gets to hang out when I'm working out. I try to do the stuff where you to do where you don't have the weights and stuff, but they have other stuff. They have they do push-ups, do 100 push-ups. They have. Uh, shoulder press and all that. The stuff I can do, I take from Built Like a Bass and I go through the weeks and I do it in the basement. All right, last question for you. This is the question that I ask every single person. So uh, what is one life lesson you can give me on how to simplify or remove clutter? And it doesn't have to be about football. It could be anything. I think uh, I saw this and I was, trying, I was trying to think. I think it's just, I mean, for me, I, I don't, my wife laughs it. My wife doesn't get it. For me, I never stress out or I never have anxiety or anything like that. I think it's just, I think, like I said, back to today's world, you have all these apps and I think to remove clutter and to remove all that, just get informed, get informed. And then when, you, when you're when you doing stuff, I mean, today's world, there's YouTube videos on stuff, there's everything, there's books, there's it. you get informed and then when you're about to do it, you lay it out. Just like Built Like a Badass and Slow Cobb, I need to, you lay it out. This is, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that, then I'm going to do that. And it just and then it winds up just getting rid of like even when I clean my house I clean my house in like grids all right I'll do this area then I'll move to that area and it just I think it get, helps getting rid of clutter and and all that. So do you not get overwhelmed by the volume of information that's online or all the apps that no, are out there? I, I mean I I think I, I I what I do is I listen if I don't like it it's I I just end it I'm not like I'm not like my wife will ask me when I watch a movie and I start watching and I, I don't like it I just end it. And I'll read the Wikipedia. I got to know how it ends, but I'm not going to waste time on it. Like if I don't like a book, if I can't get into a book and I'm like, I'm not going to finish it. I'm just ending it. And so I don't get overwhelmed. If I don't like it, it's just not my thing. And I'll just, and I'll just get rid of it. And that's actually a great premise to uh, the four hour work week. Cause he, he talks about that very thing and being, not being a good finisher is what makes people more efficient because they don't burden themselves by trying to finish that movie or that book that yeah. they don't have to finish. And it's like, I was reading, I, I, don't know, I, was reading, I forgot what the book was. It's like 500 pages and I'm on like page like 90 and I'm like this, I can't do it. And I just end it instead of carrying on because I feel like when I start reading it and I'm not into it, I'm not retaining information. So. But it also seems like from the other end, I'm just trying to make sure I understand it so it can help me. You have, if you have something big, you kind of break it down into small chunks. Like you said, you grid up how you're going to do things in your house. So you're not saying I'm going to clean the entire house. I'm going to fix this grid yeah, of the house. Because I think a lot of people, you start cleaning something and you, then you go put something away in the bathroom. You see something else. You start doing that. It's just, I think you got to take it. I think, I, I mean, 
I know you, you're a big schedule guy and, and plan. I think that's big. I think like everything, even in gym, even in workouts, you just can't go into a, go into a gym, be like, oh, I'm going to work out today and see what it's not going to go. You need that plan. This is what I'm going to do. This, this is what I'm going to do first. And like for me, like built like a badass, when I go and the benching is my first thing and the bench is taken, I can't do anything else. It just bothers me. I've left gyms because of it because the bench is too much. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm like, I'm, meanwhile, I can just go to another exercise. I'm like, no, I got to bench first and that's what I got to do. I'm crazy. And I'm like, I, and I, my wife's like, you just went to the gym. I'm like, yeah, the bench was taken. I got to get out of here. <laughs> that's hysterical. You know, I, I have a saying, well, it's not my saying, but planning is useless, but the act of planning is priceless. And that's why you write your gym workout out. So if somebody's on the bench, you can go to like your second workout and come back to bench. But you, yeah, you go home. I mean, that's I, great. I'm also antisocial. So people sometimes bother me, but I, it's like, I need to do bench first. If I don't, if I do go through it, I feel like the workout was wasted. Like I, I, I feel like, he put that bench first because it means something, and that's why, that's why you got to do it. <laughs> Coach, this has been awesome. Man, I miss you. I hope you come out every time. Yeah, it was – again. Make it happen. I it was great. I mean, thank you. I mean, if you ever I don't know if, I don't know if people will be calling for an encore, but I'll, I'll be – I didn't want to – I said to you, I felt, I felt weird talking. I don't like talking about myself, and, but it was great. I mean, if you ever need me, I'll do it again. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, coach. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Uh, Have a great rest of the day.